experience. We were just talking about guys getting experience. Uh, some of the hard things for a kid is um, trying to determine my life direction when I don't even know what's out there for real. And uh, there are things that I think I may like to do, but one of the best things that a dad can do is to provide opportunities for a kid to get involved in it. So you get a feel for it. And you go, oh yeah, this would be okay, but I wouldn't want to do it all my life. You know, and good. If you want to shut those doors, it would be good. We'll keep the cool in. Um, and so there are many opportunities within this program to give kids some some opportunities. And if your you know, son or daughter does not want to do something, I wouldn't force them. You know, I, I don't want to go to Russia, or I'm not interested in doing the children's ministry thing, or I'm not interested in the alert, or I'm not interested in, in doing character. That's okay. You can't do it all anyway, you know, um, but don't force them. Uh, but try to give them opportunities to get some uh, very positive um, experiences. Well, we want to go now and put this together. I'm, I'm really excited about this because I know that uh, this is the changer. And uh, this is brings the greatest amount of change in a person's life. But remember, we ended Proverbs, we ended Proverbs with all of this judgment that if pride is not dealt with, there's going to be some very severe consequences. I mean, that's what we picked up. Severe consequences in many, many ways that's going to take place in a family or in a ministry or whatever, if this is not dealt with. Okay, I want you to go, now I want you to go to um, the book of James. The book of James, the wonderful thing about James is it's, it's the, um, sort of the Proverbs of the New Testament, and James kind of puts this together for us now. Um, is there a young man that hasn't read yet? I'd like someone to read James 4. Okay. Um, I'd like you to read James 4, verse 9. Pardon me, verse 6. Okay, you don't get to sit down. There, you, you are uh, elected to answer questions. Okay, the first thing here that's very important is what does God want to give me? Um, you are 50% right. More grace. See, if you have financial problems, on one hand I had some money, on the other hand I had more money, which hand do you want? <laughs> and so, it's very interesting that God said more grace. And and you can, every time you read grace in scripture, you can put in there the word power. Grace is what? The empowering of God in my life to make choices that would please Him. And God said there's always more what? Power. There's always more grace. I don't need to worry about. I pray through. I get my life cleaned up. I don't need to worry about what may be, I'd be tempted with down the road. Why? What is there always there if I want it? More grace. God has promised that. Now, while you're standing there, there's a wonderful verse in Romans. Well, before we get to the verse in Romans, the question is, if there is all this power out there, 
And, and God has got all this power available for us to live in a way that would please Him. Why are there so many losers on the winning team? Why are there so many Christians, and so, or so few Christians, that are actually living victoriously? They're really walking a victory. Why don't we see that? I mean, even in the Gandhi program, how come? Okay, Romans 8 says, if God before us, what? I am talking to the Shahnaz. <laughs> okay, now let me ask you this question, young man. <laughs> That's a wonderful truth. But let me ask you this one. If God is resisting me, does it make any difference who's for me? You didn't hear what I said. If God is resisting me, does it make any difference then who else is for me? No. Because when God resists me, what does he take off my life? Pardon me? No. What's, what, what, what's this, this verse about being what of God being, what do we get from God? Power. See. And so if God is resisting me, what happens is God's power comes off my life. Then what's going to happen? Pride goes before what? A fall. You can sit down. See, if, if, uh, Satan knows that if he can get me in a pride mode, that once I move into the pride mode, God is going to withhold spiritual power in my life and pride is going to come. All those things in Proverbs is going to happen because I can only grip the bedpost so long. I can only battle in my own grit and determination so long. And down I'll go. Now what's the purpose of going down? Then I would cry out to God. See, a proud person says, don't worry about me, I can do it. Now, I can do this, I can pull this off, no, no big deal. But I need to humble myself before God and say, God, if you don't work in my life, it's not going to happen. I am not going to walk in victory unless I have grace. And God, I need your grace in my life. Okay, so God will give me more grace, and God will give grace to those that will humble themselves before him. And I believe that's why so often that God will put us in a situation that it... There's nothing left to do but to pray. I mean, that's all you can do. We get those sometimes in counseling. I absolutely don't know what to do. I've absolutely hit a brick wall. I don't know what's going to take place. And I have walked the hallways crying out to God, God, this is not my person. This person belongs to you. They are a total mess. I can't seem to break through. I don't know what's wrong. You know what's wrong. I'm trying to break through. But God, if you don't do something, they're going to leave here like they came. And I don't want them to leave here like they came. Something's got to happen inside. And you've got to do it. I can't do it. Okay. Then verse 7. Stand up again. What does submit mean? Okay. So, because we're getting a divine order here. We're getting a divine order for spiritual warfare. The first thing I need to do is to humble myself if I want to be successful in a spiritual battle. The second thing I need to do is to get under who? Get under God. Now this is where we give our counselees 
homework to bring the next day. And that is, if you're going to surrender your life to God, what are the areas of your life that you need to surrender to God? And one of the things we've talked about is what? Just uh, a while before. Music. I need to open my music up to the Lord. Remember, again, what Warren Mercy said. Any area of your life that you close off to God's control, Satan will take control of it. See, there's two things that, that, that young men like you have to come to grips with. And it's, it's not just you. I'm not picking on you, okay? And that is girls and music. I was doing a seminar in a Christian high school, and I was uh, doing one on spiritual dating. And there were about 500 kids there. This is a big Christian high school, 500 kids. You know, here I'm up there talking about their music and dating. And while I was doing this, one of the uh, guys there, did you leave? One of the guys there, um, <clears throat> as I was talking about, you know, dating on the right level and memorizing First Thessalonians chapter 4 and all that kind of stuff, turned to the girl sitting next to him in this high school and says, what does that old man know about dating anyway? And the girl said, that old man is my father. <laughs> so I see the kid in the hallway. I said, I'm that old man. Oh, Mr. Logan, I feel so bad. I said, never have said it. You know. <laughs> but, you know, that's the hardest thing is what? Leave my women and music alone, right? I mean, that's what they're saying out there. And even some of the Christian kids. You just leave my women and music alone. And let me tell you, you don't put your women and music under God's control, you're going to be a wiped out kid. Trust me. You're going to be wiped out. Because there's no end to loose women today. You know, that are 13, 14, 15, 16, whatever. It's unbelievable. And you've got to yield that to the Lord. But what other areas of your life do you have? As a kid. There's more to you in music than that, isn't it? Yes, friends. Am I willing to submit my friendships to Christ? Am I willing to submit my relationship to my parents to Christ? What about my future? Can I trust God with my future? You know, what about my money? You know, you got any extra money? My name is Logan. L-O-G-A-N. <laughs> I'll give you my address afterwards. Oh, if you want my prayer letter, just write your name down and put it in. Usually we make people call the office and get it, but you guys aren't going to throw it in the trash if you get it. Because we can't afford for you to throw my prayer letter in the trash. And it doesn't come out that often, but when it comes out, usually it's worthwhile. But maybe not always. Probably the next one won't be. He said it was worthwhile. Look at this thing. Now please, send money. <laughs> Big letters. Um, we try not to do that. Okay, and so then I need to submit the areas of my life to control, uh, God's control. Bring those areas. So I have people think them through, pray them through. What are the areas of my life? Entertainment. You know, what are you going to do for entertainment? You know, withhold that from God and do your own thing. Oh, can I tell you this one? I love this one. I got to tell you this. One. I um, I got this horrible call about an ATI dad, and I just, I mean, this guy was a jerk, a real jerk. Probably an educated jerk, but he was a jerk. And so I had this family come down to see me, and they're sitting in there, husband and wife, and uh, the the mom and dad were talking, and it just reminded me of this phone call I had. And I said, you know, Dan, you just remind me of this phone call I had 
about an ATI dad that took his daughters to see Titanic, which has a nude scene in it besides words. And uh, you say, Logan, how do you know? They told me. I didn't go see it. I don't go to movie theaters. Um, my kids have never been in a movie theater all the time they were in our home. None of my kids ever set foot in a movie theater. And that was years ago. You know, our oldest daughter's in the 40s. Um, but anyway, and I said, when he came home, after taking his teenage daughters to see Titanic, his wife said, well, how was it? And he said there was nothing wrong with it. So she decided she would go to see what he had exposed his teenage daughters to see, because this guy was showing videos in the house that were R-rated, his ATI dad to his family. And uh, so she went and she had to put her hands over the, her, the younger kids' faces, and she had to walk out. And I said, you know, I said, you know what I said about that guy? I said, he was a jerk, a real jerk that would do that. And the wife said, I'm the one that called. It was my husband. <laughs> so I'm calling this guy on the phone a jerk, and he's sitting there right in my office right in front of me. And I said, how in the world can you take your daughters to see a, something like that and, and say there's nothing wrong with it? A man is having an affair, or was, somebody was married and someone was single, and how can you say that's right stuff? You know? It makes me sick. I mean, I, the guy should say, it was immoral and I liked it. And I'm going, fine, I handle that. But don't tell me that evil like that's okay and you're exposing your daughter. So you want your daughter to take her clothes off in a movie? Oh, let me tell you. You can pray about this, and I know he doesn't care. There's an ATI dad that came, came to me at Knoxville in tears. His daughter is extremely beautiful. Extremely beautiful. I believe that she is one of the top models in New York City. And the daughter uh, lived alone, and now she has a roommate. And she wanted to come home at Thanksgiving time. The dad may be in here because when guys talk to me, I don't know. When uh, she wanted to come home at Thanksgiving time, she wanted to bring her roommate home with her and to be accepted by the whole family and is a lesbian relationship and the person that his ATI daughter is involved with, very, very beautiful, is Rosie O'Donnell. The TV person that has the talk show. Isn't her name Rosie O'Donnell? Or whatever the name of that lady is that has a TV show. Um, we need to pray one for another. Wouldn't, she, wouldn't that tear your heart out to have a daughter that ended up with Rosie O'Donnell who has millions and millions of dollars and buys her cars and all this kind of stuff? Sick. And he's supposed to accept her? And he asked me, what would you do? And I said, I would not allow her in the home. I would let your daughter come home, but I would not let her bring her friend because I think you're sanctioning before your children and before the community that that relationship is right. Not that you don't know it, but there's nothing you can do because she is not a teenager. This is an older girl. But what she's doing is wrong. And we need to cry out for one another. It's not easy today, is there? There's just there are things that are... Because sin always complicates. Sin, sin always makes things a mess. Okay? So, he says, Submit the areas of my life to God. Then what am I to do after I submit? Read it. 
And that's an absolute promise. You can be seated. Absolute promise of God. But remember this. If I am resisting God in an area of my life, when I then go to resist the devil, he is not going to go anywhere. Believe me. He doesn't have to go because I have given him a legal jurisdiction in my life to be there. Campus Crusade brought, when I was working at the mission, we worked with a lot of Campus Crusade navigators, and they brought a, a surgeon's son to see me from this major college about four hours away. And we were dealing with this young man, and he was really struggling with all kinds of sensuality and demonic, evil kinds of things. And as we were dealing with this young man, helping him to come to freedom, when we commanded, I command in the name of Jesus, these essential spirits to leave this boy's life, all of a sudden, I knew that nothing happened. They didn't go anywhere. And I, again, I said, I command you to get off his life and to go. And a voice spoke out of the void and said, I don't have to go. And so I asked the demon a question. I said, why? He said, he's got posters. And I'm thinking of a car poster. You know, so I asked the boy, do you have posters in your dorm room? Four, four, you know, four hours away. And he said, well, it's not really a dorm room, but I do have posters in my room. They're inappropriate, Mr. Lord. They're very sensual. I said, are you willing to destroy those posters? He said, yeah, and I got magazines too. It didn't say that, but I do. Are you willing to get rid of your magazines? Are you willing to destroy those posters? He said, yes, I am. So then I wanted the boy to hear, and I said to the demon, okay, now what? And he said, I guess I got to go. <laughs> and I said, you do. In the name of Jesus, leave. But see, he didn't have to go as long as this boy had what? Posters and magazines. He was giving a right. That's why if I'm not willing to submit an area of my life to the Lord, I want to hold on to that. Well, the enemy's going to camp on it. And then when I want to walk in freedom and victory, it's not going to happen. Either we... Either our whole life, as much as we know, is open before God and under God's control, or the enemy's going to take that one part and hold on to it and keep me discouraged. You see, well, Logan, it's, it's only one little part. Well, it's like seeing a doctor and he said, you don't need to worry. <laughs> it's just a little cancer. <clears throat> and that's not very encouraging, is it? Because little cancers become what? Big cancers. So he said that if I will submit my life to God, take those areas, and I would encourage you to do that. We don't have time now. I wish we did have time, but we just need to give you the truth. But start. I need to submit the areas of my life to God's control. Then when I do that, when I resist the enemy, which means push away, not to allow it to remain, stay, or enter in the Greek, when I shut him away, as I resist the devil, he will go. And when he goes, so does the desire and the pressure that he's putting on me to sin leaves too. Leave. It's gone. Now, how can I resist an enemy I cannot see? Why is it I don't recognize the enemy's involvement in my stuff until after I'm defeated? Isn't that a little late? You know, do I have to be laying in the gutter all bleeding and bruised and saying, I bet that was demonic? Or, you know, my wife's going to divorce me because of, of the immoral relationship because I never saw the enemy and all of that. I got slowly sucked into something and now my family's destroyed. Now I look back and say, that must have been the enemy. That's a little late. Number two, why is it that I don't recognize the enemy in it? 
And there's a reason. James chapter 1 gives us the reason. Any other young man that has not read that's got a Bible? Okay. I want you to read James 1, starting in verse 13. So, you know, you'll read some and sit down and read some and sit down. Okay. I mean, stand up and read some. We'll stop and talk. Okay, so see, if I'm faced with something, and, it, and, and if I would do this, if it would draw me away from God, what do I know? This is not of God. God will never tempt me to pull me away from himself or to put me into evil. That's not what God's about. See, God will test me to draw me to himself. Satan will tempt me to pull me to himself. So if, this, if I do this, if it will pull me away from God, it is not of God. Absolutely not of God. Okay. Abraham, God said, Abraham, will you offer Isaac? And Abraham could have said no. Well, if he did, he would have failed the test. That was the test. God did not want Abraham to sin. Was the purpose of offering Isaac to sin or the purpose to reveal Jehovah Jireh? So when God tests me when I go through that, I understand more about God at the end of that than I did when I was going through that, before I went through that. But temptation is always to pull me into sin and to pull me away from God. So if the ultimate end of this thing, now there are some things that aren't as easy. And I'm, tr I'm trying to make it easy. There are some things that aren't so easy. But God can, if you like wisdom, ask him. There are situations where it, this thing seems almost amoral, but in a way it doesn't seem amoral. You know what I'm saying? And either I'm going to do it or not do it. Maybe it's a business dealing. You know, but the enemy has, well, you asked me if I knew any rich people. I know a rich guy. This guy is called, I call him Chicken Little. Uh, Chicken Little played on a bowl team because when you play in the Rose Bowl or Cotton Bowl or whatever, you get a, a bowl ring. And we've had a number of guys, these big ex-football players that come in. And this guy had played in the bowl somewhere. This guy has the Midas touch. Whenever he touched anything, he makes money. And so uh, he had a couple businesses, and he had an opportunity to buy this chicken business, and the chicken business um, had grossed $800,000 that year when he bought it. Two years later, under his direction, which was just part of the direction because the other business, it had grossed $8 million. Chicken little. Um, he's given Tyson a run for the money. Probably eat some of Chicken Little's chicken if you go to McDonald's or Hardee's or one of those and get chicken sandwich. You know, it's his chicken stuff. Um, but money didn't do it. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been in my office, right? <laughs> he didn't show up to talk about his chicken business. The chicken Little had some problems. And we tried to help Chicken Little. Um, so money won't do it, but in business sometimes, there can be a trap there, but it's not as obvious, and that's where you need to cry out to God. It may be a good deal, but not a good deal for you. you know, you're really going to get entangled in something you ought not to, and usually get a smell for it, and you ought to really uh, just pray about it. But we're talking about the more obvious stuff here, that it just, 
if I do this, it can't be right because I'm, I'm going to have to violate clear teachings of Scripture if I, if I do this thing. Okay. Now, we still don't know the answer because we just said God doesn't tempt us to evil. Read 13 through 16. Thank you. Now, I want you to read one verse because the key is in this verse. The key is in verse 13. Well, the real key is about, I mean, pardon me, verse 14. The real key is about conceiving. Remember, it talks about taking thoughts captive, and we looked at Ephesians 5, and, and Peter said, why have you conceived this thing in your heart? Conceive means that the thought gives birth to action, but why don't I recognize that the temptation part before this conception takes place is of the devil? And that's in verse 14. Read that again. Stop. How many? So all of us, every man is what? Tempted. So all of us are going to be tempted. But all of us are going to be tempted by the same process. But not all of us are going to be tempted in the same area. Do you get the point? The process of temptation is the same for every single guy in here. Father or son. But the areas in which we're tempted can change because of my past, things I've been exposed to, all kinds of stuff, okay? Now, so every man is tempted when... Okay, you can be seated. seated. Be seated. Here it comes, guys. It's very simple. If you have Men's Manual Volume 1, it's in there. And that's this. The reason I do not recognize Satan's temptation or Satan's involvement in my temptation is he only tempts me to do what I would do anyway. See, every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own secret desires and what? Enticed. Who's the enticer? Jim? Uh, have you been over to the park? Okay, let's say that uh, you guys are staying over and tomorrow you go to the park. Now I'm going to put make it real hard on you. So Jim's walking through the park and you get the thought of dropping your pants and, um, you know, exposing yourself. Um, what would you do? Not do it. Uh, would it bother you a whole lot? Would the thought bother you? A whole lot or not a whole lot? Okay, it shouldn't bother you a whole lot, I'll tell you what. Um, because it's not a thing. You're not a pants dropper, are you? No, okay. Um, <clears throat> see, so if I get a... Satan will never... You guys have got to get this. He will never tempt me to do what I wouldn't do. It's not a temptation. You know, if I got a thought of dropping my pants, you know what I do? I'd be sure my zipper's up and it's button tight. You know, my hands aren't going to sweat. I'm getting all nervous. Oh, I'm going to drop my pants. <laughs> do you understand what I'm saying? So when he gets this, I mean, most guys laugh because I do this in my office and they laugh. I go, oh. I say, the reason you're laughing is so out of your thing, you know? But you're here because you got your thing. You wouldn't be sitting in here, guy. <laughs> so I shared this with a pastor one time. I said, you know, what would you do if you're, you know, walking in the neighborhood, you got a thought of dropping your pants. What would you do? And he said, that's why I'm calling you. I go, oh, wrong illustration. <laughs> oh, well, let's try another one. <laughs> you 
that we don't get a lot of pants droppers, but we do get some. Um, but if we can see that. See, we have sin patterns in our life. And the enemy knows what they are. And he tempts me to go into that pattern. See, some of you old cowgers in here live pretty wicked lives. Haven't you? Some of you guys lived wicked lives before you knew the Lord. And there's a lot that it's possible you would do. Anything that you've ever done, you could do again. Anything. And if you don't think so, take heed, brother. Satan may have hold of the carpet you're standing on. Or you're going to fall. Because I had an ATI kid. His dad is very well known. Came to me for counseling. Well, he didn't come to me. He was sent to me for counseling. Those kind usually don't work very good. You know, they wanted him straightened out, but I wasn't sure he wanted to be straightened out. And so he sits there for the first three hours, and thank God, God did a work, and he said, you know, Logan, I kind of like you. And I said, oh, thank you. And he said, well, uh, he said, I got a problem. And I said, what's your problem? He said, well, I got a trunk full of marijuana. I said, oh, really? Uh, he said, I brought it down to smoke while I was talking to you. You know, at night in the motel, I did marijuana every night. I got a bunch of it out there, and I'll just smoke it while I'm, you know, because my folks want me to talk to you. But he said, you know, I really think you could help me. And I said, well, praise the Lord. And he said, um, would you keep my marijuana for me? And I said, sure. And I said, but anytime you want it, I'll give it to you. You know, I'm not God. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I'm not your parents. And so he brought the marijuana in. I said, this stuff stinks awful. Uh, I said, you know, I can't have this stuff in here. Well, we got these plastic bags from the grocery store. I don't know if you guys ever smelled marijuana, but this stuff smelled like it had been smoked. You know, and so we're wrapping it up and wrapping it up to find that there's no stink and put rubber bands around it, and I stuck it in my drawer. But I said, I'll tell you one thing, I'm not going to get rid of this. I didn't buy it, you did. you got to get rid of this stuff, not me. You know, you had to flush it or something. But uh, but if you want to smoke it, I'm going to give it to you. And I'm not calling your dad on the phone. Do you know what your son's doing? He's smoking dope. And I'm going, no, that's between you and your parents and all that. I'm here to try to help you. I'll do what I can. So um, the kid's not there. There was a lot of marijuana. The worst that that marijuana could do to me is I wonder what... I wonder why people smoke this stuff. That's a word. Curiosity? You know, maybe I could steal a little bit. He won't miss it and smoke it and see what happens. But let me tell you something, beloved. Had I done marijuana and I knew the kick of marijuana, the, the, the pull of that stuff in my drawer would have been a lot stronger than I had I'd never been exposed to. You understand what I'm saying? Once I've done it, and let me tell you, young men and old men, there is pleasure in sin. And don't ever forget it. Why do people do it? Because it's pleasurable, right? And that's the kicker. And when demons get involved, it is super pleasurable. That's when sexual stuff becomes erotic. It's when demonic spirits are involved in the sexual. And it's a real kicker. And you really get hooked. And once you're hooked, and once you're in bondage, there's definitely demonic stuff going on. Or you add twists to your stuff. There's demonic stuff going on. Okay. So every man is tempted when he's drawn away with his own lust and enticed. Now I'm going to say something and I'm going to prove it to you. It's a very strong statement. I don't want you to buy it because I'm saying some of you have studied it and you come, but this is a hard statement for you to get. And that's this. I do not believe that we as believers are ever tempted apart from demonic involvement. 
Now that's a strong statement. And I gotta prove it. Because that is not what, I didn't even teach that in Bible school. I told everybody to resist temptation. You know what's wrong by teaching kids to resist temptation? There isn't a Bible verse. You, you quote me the verse that says resist temptation. I'll quote you verses that says resist the devil. There's a difference. Isn't there? Resisting the tempter rather than resisting the temptation. Number two. Wait, we'll get into this. I'll, I'll give you that in a minute. The scripture clearly says to resist the devil, right? More than one time. Then, if Satan is not involved in all my temptations, which ones is he so I can resist him? I'll need a list, right? Well, I better call Bill and give us the list. It says, flee youthful lust. That doesn't say resist temptation. Uh, Dave, uh, Joseph did that in the Potiphar situation, didn't he? He didn't sit down with Mrs. Potiphar and say, let's have a cup of tea and talk about this. He got out of there. It says, uh, make no provisions for the flesh. That does not say resist temptation, does it? Or does it say make no provision for the flesh? I tell young men, how can you be morally free with the magazines under the mattress? I mean, come on. You want to walk in freedom? You got to get rid of the stuff, right? Don't make provisions for the flesh. You got to get rid of that stuff. What about the world, the flesh, and the devil? The whole world lies where? In the wicked one. The flesh is the part of me that has my sin patterns, the part of me that makes the choices, and the devil uses both of them. Now let's look at scripture about this, because the reason that people are not having permanent victory in their life is they're resisting temptation. I'm not going to have a piece of strawberry pie at the break. I'm not going to have a piece of strawberry pie at the break. What am I looking at? Where's my focus? All right. I'm not going to, when I go to the airport, I'm not going to go in the magazine section and, and get a magazine. I'm just not going to do that. The more I focus on sin, the more I'm likely to do it. Because what is, I don't want to be like my aunt. Remember that thing? Got through this? And that's exactly what we're doing. We're resisting temptation. We're putting it right up there. And what we're looking at all the time is that very thing that's wiping us out. Rather than looking at the one who is tempting us with that object or thing. I'm not saying that the enemy cannot use people. Didn't he use Job's wife? She hadn't read chapter 1 and half of chapter 2. She did not know that Satan wanted her husband to curse God, so she's a curse God and die. That came right from the enemy. So your wife can be a mouthpiece for the devil. And you can be a mouthpiece for the devil for your wife and for your family. And we can speak out stuff the enemy wants us to say. See, if, if we don't start resisting the real enemy, we're not going to have any real victory. We've got to realize who's the enemy here. What's the real enemy? Go to 1 Thessalonians 3.5. And he's saying here, the enticer. The enemy is the enticer. 1 Thessalonians 3.5. Study it out. I know that this is new for some of you, but study it out. I'm just telling you the guys that buy this, 
uh, having and walking in permanent victory over the kinds of sin that most of the world has said it's impossible to have victory. 1 Thessalonians 3.5 For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know of your faith, lest by some means the world, the flesh, what does it say? What did Paul say? The tempter had tempted you, and our labor be in vain. Who did he assume tempted them? The tempter. And he, had, he knows about the world and the flesh. I mean, Paul wrote all about that stuff. But the tempter would, had tempted you. Go to 1 Corinthians. I think it's chapter 7. Verse 5, I think. And this is uh, written for husband and wives. Defraud ye not one another, except it be for consent of time, that ye may give yourself to fasting and prayer, and come together again, that Satan tempt you not. Who? Satan tempt you not for your lack of self-control. Who do you assume would tempt a husband and wife that cut off normal physical relationships? Satan. Now, did he think that they were going to start having immoral relationships with demons? Or might the secretary at work become a, a greater issue? Or the internet? Or the mailman? You get the point? I hope you've seen what I'm saying. Yeah, Satan's going to tempt you, but the involvement is going to be what? People or things or something else. We focus on the things rather than on the one who's setting me up for these things. And he saw the, t the, the enemy behind this thing causing some real problems in the lives of the people. Go to um, first, I think it's First Timothy, chapter four. The King James um, here doesn't really give you the the real thought. So, but if you look it up, in, if you have a marginal reference or whatever, he's talking here about younger women. But if you look, it's younger widows. And what obviously was happening is that the church was saying that young widows could not get remarried. And Paul is saying, we've got to straighten this out. That is not biblical. And so he says in verse 4, I will therefore that the younger widows marry, bear children, guide their house, Give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully, for some are already turned aside after or to follow Satan. That is 5, 13 and, 5, 14 and 15. 1 Timothy. Because they were putting restriction on these young widows, they were opening them up to be tempted by who? By Satan. But I want you to see the Bible is refers to Satan as the tempter. First Timothy chapter three. Now we can get in all involved in leadership, but we're not. The idea is the enemy part of the leadership issue here he's talking about. He said, don't put a novice, in verse 6, don't put a novice in leadership, lest he be lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. 
or literally in the Greek, the same combination of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report to them that were without, lest he fall into reproach and what? The snare of the devil. He says, you're setting someone up, and he gives a new thought about Satan here. He says, Satan is setting what? What's a snare? What's an, an everyday word? A trap. All of a sudden, now he's introducing to us that Satan is a trapper. And one of the traps he's setting is to put a man in leadership that either is new believer or has a lousy testimony. And he said, but he's got money. You ever been in those kind of churches? The guy's got money? Oh, I was in a church one time. I wanted to throw up. Um, we had a board meeting. Or not a board meeting, a business meeting. And one family wasn't there. And so someone said, I move that we don't have a business meeting tonight because this X and X family that's wealthy is not here. I thought, well, praise the Lord, that's spiritual. <laughs> but what they didn't know as the widow, an 80-year-old widow that was giving piano lessons to support her retarded 50-year-old son gave more money to the church over a year than this wealthy family. Oh, we'll give a $1,000 to whatever, you know, and that was it. And this little old lady gave more money than they gave. But you couldn't tell them. Wait till you get to heaven. Wait till you see all the little old ladies <laughs> getting all the stuff for the given. You know? It's not what you give, it's what you keep. Isn't that what Jesus said? Why did he make an emphasis? Why, why did he make an emphasis of that lady that gave? Because she gave her what? She gave all. He was not impressed by the guys dumping in diamonds and all this other stuff. But because she gave everything. Okay. Now, go to 1 Timothy 6. 9. But they that will be rich, and the key here is will be. It's not say those who are and those who aren't. But they that will be or purpose to be rich fall into temptation and a what? Snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. I went to the Bible and I marked every snare. What are the snares of the devil? There are many of them. We've only seen two of them. One's putting men in leadership. This one pursuing riches. You know, making money my goal is a trap of Satan. Now, when I, I told you I pastored a church out of nowhere, California, and uh, we were 100 miles one way from a major city. So if you wanted to shop at a Penny's, it was a 200-mile trip. If you wanted to get in anything like that. Uh, we were 75 miles one way from a drugstore, 50 miles one way from a haircut, 45 miles one way from a mortuary. It's just unbelievable. I didn't know in California you could live so far from nowhere. And so when I, I, I moved into this little town that if you, you know, blinked or sneezed, you were through it before you realized that there was a town there, um, I tried to get the teenagers into our church. And the teenagers said to me, we'll come if John comes. I'm going, John, there isn't a John. I mean, I, I think I know everybody in this town. We're not talking about a town with just three streets. And these streets didn't run for blocks. I mean... You know, 480 people, and you put all those miles, you know there wasn't very many people in town. And I'm going, there isn't a giant. And so I kept thinking, these kids are making somebody up. Well, one day I, I was in the, uh, the, we had two gas stations at both ends of the town, and I went into the one gas station, and there was John coming off the drunk. Here the kids had picked a town alcoholic. 21-year-old drunk, I'm going, oh, brother. 
So I started witnessing to John because I said, if he doesn't get saved, we're sunk. You know, I mean, these kids have held this guy between them and God, and God, you got to do something with John. And I didn't realize, I'd witnessed to John, and he'd go away weeping, but he didn't let, let me weep. He pulled green chain. Any of you guys ever been on, ever been on a, a mill? A green chain is pulling the green lumber that's been cut. That stuff's heavy. John looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger, but he didn't shoot himself with steroids. It was pulling this green chain. He had a waist like a girl. I used to say, John, why don't you grow up and get a waist like a real man? You know, this little dinky waist. <laughs> I'd be ashamed, you know. <laughs> so John's pulling this stuff and very, very physical. And, and John gets converted. And I mean, when he got converted, he got a dose of it. And right after he got converted, he was sent to an honor farm. That doesn't, you know, that's a California honor farm rather than sending him to prison. So he's been a Christian for two months, town alcoholic, because Christian two months, I'm discipling the guy, he's sent off to prison or an honor farm. I got, there goes John. Well, John writes back from the honor farm and said, hey, pastor, I don't think the chaplain down here is saved. It'd be okay. I witnessed to him. I wrote back and said, yeah, it'd be okay. <laughs> well, I wish you could meet John. John's in Alaska today. He runs a bed and board. John was my very first fruit of my ministry, and he's remained. And John has med- led more people to Christ all of his life than I ever have. And God just let my first fruit remain all, you know, all these years. He came to Christ in the early 60s, and John has walked with God all these years. Just a really neat screwball. My wife says, John is a 15-year-old, 50-year-old. <laughs> John loves to hunt, fish, you know, kill caribou, and you know, all this kind of stuff. He used to ask me, say, Pastor, you want to go hunting with us? I said, what do you mean, hunting? I'm a Christian. I'm not a killer. You know, come on. What are you talking about here? <laughs> oh, what a, I mean, what a place for me to be. I mean, I love being in this screwball place, way up there with these screwballs. Well, one day John said, hey, pastor, you want to go on my trap line? I said, hey, I'd love to. Well, see, I grew up in Los Angeles, and we trapped, you know, mice. But John never showed me what animal traps were all about. I guess he just assumed. Because when I shared this the first time was in Alaska with these missionaries, and John was there. And I said, John, do you remember that? He said, yeah, you were so stupid. And all the missionaries laughed. I'm going, oh, thanks. <laughs> first convert, you know, brother. <laughs> Didn't get saved enough. <laughs> we got to get him saved more. Well, anyway, we drive out to the shale, climb up. And this is really high country of California, high desert with the trees and mountains. You know, Mount Shasta. We were 100 miles behind Mount Shasta. If you... You know, you drink a Shasta pop, that little thing that we were back that way. And so we were climbing through this stuff, and we came to the very first trap. And I nearly stepped in it. Now, I don't know if you had ever had tennis shoes on, and they were a lot crummier than they are today. Why would you want to step in a steel animal trap, you know, with these the, the, the claw things out here? Well, you wouldn't want it, would you? I mean, if you had your, if your right mind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and see, he never showed me. And so here is a trap, had a chain and a stake that they put in the ground and all this. And why would I step in it? I didn't see it. See, it was concealed with the leaves and everything. It was all covered over. You didn't see it. But I knew a trap was there. You know how I knew a trap was there? Because I saw the same thing that the animal saw. What did I see? The bait. It was a rabbit hanging in a tree. Beloved, you guys aren't going to see the trap. You're only going to see what? The bait. Now let's look at this 
2 Timothy. This is one of the strongest, most sobering verses that I've seen in the Word of God about Satan being a trapper. And let me read it to you. In verse 24 through 26, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach and patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God preaventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. And let me tell you, that is a very, please, I'm not an anti-King James, you ought to know that, but this is a very poor translation of that verse. You read that verse, and what it says, if you read it in English, that Satan can take me captive anytime he wants to. Right? Taken captive at his will. That is not, if you check it out in Zoeades or whatever, it's going to be different. Let me give you what it really is in the Greek. It says when you take that, pardon me? That is uh, 24th to 26th, 2 Timothy 2. I'm sorry, guys. Okay. But let me give you this, what it really is. He says, and I'll just read it, and I'll read it. If you do your Greek study, you'll see that I'm telling you right. All the rest of the translations just do a little twist, and it gives you a whole different concept. And they may cover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him to do his will. Doesn't that make sense? When you step in the trap and you take the bait, whose will are you going to be doing now? The will of Satan. Are you committed to doing the will of Satan? Is that why you guys are here? So what do I need to do? If I want to get really serious, and I want to start having victory in my life, what do I need to do? I need to start identifying bait. What would you go for? You're not going to see the trap. All you're going to see is what? The bait. And every one of us is going to go for something. Remember the sin that so easily besets us? We started with that. There's bait for all of us. No one... You know, as long as you're alive, can make a choice, there's going to be some bait. This kid right here, if you're my son, okay, and you're a fish, I'd say, son, if you see a worm all scrunched up, don't go for it. It's probably got a hook in it. And if you follow the hook, you'll find a line that goes up to a pole. You go down the pole, and there's a fisherman. And if you want to catch different kinds of fish, use different kinds of bait. Is that right? I'm not much of a fisherman. You know? But there's fly fishing. You know, when I saw the stuff that these fish would eat, I'd go, why do I want to eat a fish would eat that stuff? <laughs> Creepy, crawly stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah, you know, look. And when that, you know, that beetle became part of the fish, I didn't want that fish to become part of Logan. Um, anyway. <laughs> you know, but, just realize, you got a guy has got a fisherman. Let's start fighting the real battle. Let's start resisting the real thing. Don't resist the bait. Resist the baiter. Because when you resist the bait, your focus is on the very thing that's got to pull towards you. Resist the one that wants to, to get you. Okay, we're still not through. We will be through. Whether We'll take our break after we finish this, whenever we finish it. Okay. Um, I want you to go to 1 John.
I'm not asking you to buy what I'm saying. I'm asking you to consider what I'm saying. I'm asking you to study Scripture, and especially if you've been living a defeated life. And this may be the key for you. It was the key for almost all my, I say almost, it's the key to all of my counselees. They were fighting the long battle, so they weren't winning. Because when you resist the devil, what will happen? He'll leave. You resist temptation, where does it go? Nowhere. Doesn't go anyplace. Yeah, just gets stronger. The pull gets stronger. In 1 John 3, 8, now this is Phillips. Phillips is not a translation. Phillips is a paraphrase. But as I look it up, and I look these things up, and I try to study very, very hard, the last thing I want to do is to teach any of you guys falseness. I mean, that's not what I'm about. I'm not to do that. But I know this isn't popular what I'm teaching, but I believe it's the answer to why guys are not having victory. And if you look, you'll find this in, in the men's manual, volume one. What I'm teaching is there on being a man of spiritual power. It's right there in the men's manual. Now, not all these verses, how I put it together, but the, the seed where I got this was out of the men's manual. Because I'm going, why aren't these college kids getting, walking in victory? They're in Bible college. Memorizing scripture, learning Greek, reading the Bible in Greek, and they're all living horrible lives. Because I was teaching to resist temptation. Because I didn't believe the devil was real. If you don't believe the devil is real, what do you got to tell people to resist? You're not going to tell them to resist the devil you don't believe in. Well, he's in the Bible, but he's not real. And that's where I was, and that's where a lot of your Bible professors are. 1 John 3, 8. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose was the Son of God was manifested, he might destroy the works of the devil. Now here it is in verse 8. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. And I love here what Philip said. Philip says, for the devil is behind all sin, as he always has been. I thought they, they hit the nail right on the head. When I'm saying, behind sin is who? The devil, that's what he is about. Now I know that that's not a translation. But that is a strong paraphrase, and I thought it was good. My crowning argument, because I do get professors at this point are not against me, but they're not with me. They're saying, hmm, interesting thought, never thought of this. You know, but when you come to this one, you're sunk. Is my crowning argument. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. And you study this in any translation, any Greek text and all, and it says exactly what you're seeing in the King James that you got in your hands. 15 and 16. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come Boldly unto the throne of what? Grace. What's grace? Yeah, the throne of empowering. Let us come boldly to the throne of empowering that we might obtain mercy and find the power to help in our time of need. It's wonderful. The key that we're going to look at is in verse 15. Who is our great high priest? And this is what it says. Jesus, in the Greek, Jesus was tempted just like 
We are. That's what it's saying. You can't get around it. You can't do anything with it. There's no question. It's so clear. How was he tempted? By the world and the flesh? By the devil. He was tempted just like we are. So we can learn how to deal with temptation. How? By looking at what Jesus did. And that's what the scripture is saying. As our Savior was tempted, so will we be tempted. And let's go to Luke 4. And that's very strong. And that is so strong, I can't tell you in the Greek. And it just, right there, it, it, it's a clincher. The other verses, yeah, maybe. But when you put all those other verses where temptation is, there's a tempter, the Word of God says, and then it says Jesus was tempted like we are. Then I have to realize, yes, Jesus was tempted by the devil. Luke 4. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being 40 days tempted of the devil. So Jesus was filled with the Spirit, he was led by the Spirit, and he was led into the wilderness for what purpose? To be tempted by the devil. Now, in verse 3, the devil speaks to him. In verse 4, Jesus answered him. In verse 6, the devil speaks to him. In verse 8, Jesus answered him. In verse 9, in the middle of it, in the King James, the devil speaks to him again. And in verse 12, Jesus answers him. Now, let me tell you, I will tell you what I used to do that I don't do anymore, but I wish I could. So I'm going to do it with you guys. And then I'll tell you how I do it differently so that uh, people don't react. See, when people react to what you say, they don't hear you. You want people to what? Respond, but not react. React is, oh, you know. And, and I did it to try to get their attention. It was so reactionary that it... Anyway, let me give it to you. Number one. Now, remember Jesus tempted by the devil. Did the, temp, did the devil tempt Jesus to do right or wrong? Wrong, right? Number two, did Jesus hear the devil telling him to do wrong? Did he? How do we know? How do we know he didn't do this? The answers, right? Was his answers general? Did he say, in the beginning God created? Well, all scripture is profitable and powerful. So Jesus answered the devil what? Specifically. So then, this is what got him, this is what blew them away. I'm going to say, don't get blown away, okay? I'm going to tell you to be blown away. Then Jesus had wrong thoughts. And I go, oh, heresy. If Jesus did not have wrong thoughts, beloved, there is no hope for us. He's not tempted like I am. Because every single temptation that I have is registered consciously first. That's the process, isn't it? And there's, I'm going to take a thought captive unless it comes to my mind and I'm aware of it. I can't take a thought captive if it's a sublineal thought that I, it doesn't register. Now, I know that that sounds terrible. And look how I dressed it up. And no one has reacted to my dress up. But I wanted you guys to get a hold of that. But he's going to show us what to do. Jesus heard the devil telling him to do wrong. It did enter his mind, yet he did not sin, nor was it considered sin to hear what Satan said. 
Yeah, see how much nicer that is than what I said before. Say it again. Okay. Um, 20 bucks. <laughs> okay. Jesus heard the devil telling him to do wrong. It did enter his mind. Because his answer, we know I had to. Yet he did not sin, nor was it considered sin to hear what he said. Because what does Hebrews say? He was tempted what? In all points, just like we, yet without what? Without sin. Now, what does the devil tell me to do? I mean, this kid is rotten. This kid right here. What's your first name? Jim. I should forget. Jim. Jim is rotten. I mean, he is the most rotten kid we had in here. He was thinking of walking in that park over there from this hotel and dropping his pants. I can't believe it. And telling all of us. How embarrassing. Aren't you embarrassed, Dad? Dad's all red. I can't blame him, you know. I don't know how you can just disannul a son or get rid of a son, dude. I'll tell you. You know, your son's got deep problems. Um, But see, it did enter his mind, didn't it? Has he dropped his pants? Has he sinned? No. See, the battles are what? The battle's up here. Now, let me give you some good answers here. Number one, John, the Gospel of John said Jesus was the what? John chapter one. Jesus was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word dwelt among us and so on, right? So Jesus is the Word of God. Isn't it interesting when Jesus dealt with Satan, he didn't quote Scripture word perfectly. Check it out. All three verses are from Deuteronomy. Yeah, because that's I got I See, we don't act without thinking. Now, we can act real fast. You know, somebody goes to hit us and we duck or whatever, but there's a process that goes through our mind. We think, we feel, and we choose. That's why we're responsible for what we do. You know, I can't say the devil made me do it. As a Christian, the devil can't make me do it. All the devil can what? Suggest that I do it. And I can say, no, I'm not going to do that. I give, in fact, we encourage people with the thought process, instead of trying to figure, is this the devil or is this something for me? Is it a billboard or whatever? I give no consent to that. It's the easiest thing to do. Instead of trying to figure out where is this thought coming from, it's wrong. And I give no consent to that. I'm just not going to do it. So why bother? I mean, the enemy's not going to bother. We had a little girl. I wish I could show her a picture. She's five years old. I got a picture in my drawer. Some of you have been to the office. You've seen it. This little girl was sexually abused by her grandfather in satanic rituals. She has drawn pictures of the most intimate pictures and the most sad pictures a little child could draw of blood and stabbings and all this kind of stuff that she witnessed before she was five years of age. Demons were coming into her bedroom. Her, parent, her dad was non-Christian. They, they had no idea, but demons were coming into her bedroom and uh, you know, uh, revealing themselves to this little girl, and they looked like her grandfather. But they had moved away, didn't know where the grandfather was. Anyway, we taught this little girl to resist the devil, and she would send those demons away. Five years old. And they stopped coming. Why, the, why, why, why not? Why show up? Because a five-year-old believed that Jesus had more power, and she just told them in the name of Jesus to leave, and they were out of there. Uh, if you know... Um, oh, I can't. I'm trying to think so fast here. Uh, Bernie, Bernie Wiley's son. You know, the head of missionary tech team. His son started resisting demons when he was seven. And when he resisted a demon one time and sent it out, never came back. When I taught Bernie Wiley's son how to do that. Uh, I mean, you don't know how much power is on our side, guys. We're on the winning team, in case you didn't know it. 
<laughs> you know, and the enemy was defeated, and all we gotta do is stand in the victory and say, hey, out of here. You know, I don't want you in my life, I only part of my life. But we have to realize that one verse may not do you. Jesus used Ramas, not Logos. That's very important. Why did he do that when he is the Word of God? So you go back to Deuteronomy. He used three verses from Deuteronomy for all three answers from the book of Deuteronomy. Why did he do that? Because Jesus knew that you and I would knew that you and I know more truth of Scripture than we know what? Word for word. We talked about this already. If I have to quote Scripture word perfectly to resist the devil, which translation? Yeah. Texas Receptus or Texas Vaticana? You see what, you know where you're getting to? And it's like Jesus knew it was going to be all this stuff. And so it's the truth. And that's why the, it says the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God in Ephesians 6, is Rhema, not Logos. It's consistent with what Jesus did. Use the truth of Scripture. What will set you free? Truth. What will bind you? Lies. Truth. And Jesus, and what do we also we learn from this passage? That one verse may not do you. Right? Jesus resisted the enemy three times before what? He left. But then he left. Yeah, and it says, when the devil had ended, verse 13, all his temptations, he departed for him for a season. Okay. The word season, look it up in Zoyades. And you go to the back and you're going to find opportune time. And Satan's opportune time is your worst. He'll be back. And he'll come back when you're most open to receive whatever it is he wants to, to get you to do. And then it said, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. Jesus was filled with the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. He was led in the wilderness to meet Satan. Satan tempted him. Jesus resisted the enemy with Ramus, three of them. The enemy left until an opportune time. But the thrilling part of it, it was an empowering experience. I don't need to fear the enemy. I don't need to fear him. And when I resist the enemy and he leaves, and those feelings leave, or those thoughts leave, then I realize what? God really has greater power. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I have seen it. I've experienced it in my life. And it's very thrilling. Some of the most thrilling people and the most excited people are little children that resist demons that actually appear in their room or in their house when they see that Jesus has more power and they the, the enemy will leave and a little child believes that Jesus has greater power. And we've got many stories of little children resisting the enemy because of different situations. We're not through yet. We'll be through in just a minute. Not through, through. We're through with this section, pride section. How do I get rid of pride? You see how this all hooks in? We started with pride. God said all this pride stuff, the power of God comes off my life. We look at how that affects being tempted how to resist the enemy with Scripture, and now how do we get back? How do we get rid of pride? Well, I'll tell you something that's really sad. You can't. Why can't I get rid of pride? What is pride again? Building life around who? 
Yeah. See, you know, the greatest problem I have today is when I woke up. Right? That's my greatest problem. Logan got out of bed. And building a life around Logan is what? It's pride. So when I wake up and start going, the real problem today is going to be me building my life around me. And when I do that, power is gone. The enemy comes in with something. What am I going to do? Pride goes before what? A fall, a destruction is going to come because the enemy's bringing, he knows, he knows my vulnerability. He knows at this point in time, what is it in my life that would cause me to go down? So how do I get rid of pride? I absolutely, totally cannot. But Luke 9.23, it's not an issue that Jesus was not aware of. Luke 9.23, Jesus said unto them all, that's all of us here, if any man would come after me, you want to come after the Lord? Would you like to follow Christ? You follow Christ on his terms, not yours. He's got the terms, right? And he said, if any man will come after me, let him deny what? Himself. I've got to say no to self. How many steering wheels in your car? Who's going to drive the car? Say, in my life. Who's going to run my life? Me or Jesus. When I choose me, guess what? Me is in big problems. Because the enemy is going to come in like a flood and I'm going to sink. I want Jesus to take control of my life. Well, we'll have all of you come forward, kneel here in the front, I'll sprinkle water on you, and I'll take care of it the rest of your life. That's not what that verse says. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. The second thing is take up his cross, how often? Daily, and follow me. This is a daily issue. It's not a one-time issue, it's a daily issue. This is in all the Gospels. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have to make a decision every day who is going to run the car? Either you or Jesus, okay? Then, another parallel passage that I love is Galatians 2.20. I am, oh, taking up your cross. Do you guys get the Gothard uh, counseling? Anybody in the counseling thing? You get his counseling stuff? Okay, He's got the, I, I copy this part out, give it to all my counselees. He's got a wonderful section in number eight, I believe, or seven, on what it means to take up the cross daily. It's absolutely the best I've seen. I've got books, you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, Calvary Road and all of those that deal with this kind of stuff. They're good. But that thing that Gothard has and has all these things to check out, what does it really mean? And that is an excellent, excellent bit of teaching. Um, too bad you don't have it. <laughs> Galatians 2.20, Paul said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Just putting that verse down very simply, Paul said, before the cross, I used to live this way. Now after the cross, I don't live like that anymore. Before the cross, I did with what? What I wanted to do. After the cross, I want to do what God wants me to do. There's a difference before and after the cross. Now remember I said there were three things about the Apostle Paul that I think made him great. This is the third one. Now, I'm going to say a word that is not said very often in um, ATI conferences. Um, 
The NIV says it better. <laughs> Just the way how they rearranged it, it's the most powerful statement on this verse. I mean, way it is in the King James and New America and all these others is wonderful, but the NIV puts it so powerful, it's like, ah, oh, is that powerful? And it's not wrong the way they did it. I mean, some of the stuff the NIV does is terrible, but that particular one wasn't. And that is 1 Corinthians 15, 31. The King James says, I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. Paul, why were you so used of God? What was it about your life? What? Give me one secret. Why is it that you were so used of God? What did he say? I what? Die daily. If the greatest Christian that possibly ever lived had to die daily, how can you and I escape that? And he had to die to who? Paul. He was extremely educated and had all this stuff and he counted it at what? Refuge, to throw it in the, the privy. All this stuff he had. He wanted to die daily. The NIV says something like this. Anybody have an NIV? I'm sorry, did you slip one in? Oh, I knew it. I knew it. I could just feel the spirits in this room. I've been praying really hard. You got it on here? Okay, read it out real loud. Yell it out loud. I die every day. I mean that, brothers, just as surely as I glory over you in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's strong, isn't it? I die every day. I mean that, brothers, as much as I glory over you in Christ Jesus. How could you say anything stronger than that? I die daily, and I mean it. And I'm telling you, if you and I do not learn how to die daily, we cannot live for Christ. We just can't. If I remain the final authority in my life, I've taken my stand with the enemy, the power of God's off my life, Satan's going to bring his heavy stuff in my life, and I am going to sink as Peter did in the water. And sinking isn't all that bad if I'll cry out to God and realize what the problem is. Logan's been running the show. There's a lot to think about, isn't there? And I want you to think about it. But if you have not had victory by resisting temptation, go back and look over these verses and think about resisting the tempter as Jesus did. And you may find new victory that you've never experienced before. And when you know, because what happens is the thoughts and the feelings leave. 